0: What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Thursday, the 4th of March, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, access Now TV from outside the UK, and keep your data safe online. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN. To get 20% off at checkout, we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft are a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out their products at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And while I'm thinking of it, do check out thegreatstories.com, home to Brother Downey and his side project. It's brilliant. If you're into literature, yarns, tales, stories, the Great Stories is for you. Trev will read a great story, and then himself and Neil Poole will discuss it. There's no nonsense. There's no academic elitism, as Trev likes to say. It's just two lads talking about a yarn. It's great. Thegreatstories.com. Do check that out. If you're a Liverpool fan, today is Kenny Dogleash's 70th birthday. And the lads over at Anfield Index uh, have put together a birthday tribute entitled What Kenny Means to Me. Uh, Myself, Jan Molby, James Pierce. I'm struggling with who else, Jim Boardman, Gags, Eddie, and Jonathan Northcroft, all involved, as well as Paul Dogleash, Kenny's son, and brother Downey. Weaves it together as only he can. It's, uh, it's a fantastic tribute. Skip over mine. My voice sounds awful on it because I wasn't feeling very well at the time. Uh, I had a bit of a throat issue. So uh, I'm struggling to string sentences together in it. But the rest of the lads had lots of good things to say. So do check that out over on AnfieldIndex.com. It's a free listen. So it went up on the subscription side, but it's also out on the free side. So anybody can listen. It's well worth your while. It's about an hour, just under an hour, I think. So if you have that time to spare, and Kenny is your man, do check that out. Right, folks, three games last night. Um, first of all, we had Burnley won, Leicester won from Turf Moor. Um, a fairly even game, fairly well balanced. Leicester had the majority of the shots. Burnley had more shots on target. Kasper Schmeichel made a couple of great saves. One... Absolutely exceptional save From Chris Wood uh, To deny him a headed goal Both sides hit the post Yuri Thielemans And Ashley Westwood respectively Thielemans' shot was deflected but still um, I think a draw was probably The fair result Mattia Vidra had put Burnley 1-0 up after 4 minutes A loose pass from Hamza Chowdhury Allowed him in and he lashed The ball past Kasper Schmeichel Gave him absolutely no chance, it was a great finish The equalizing goal, though, it's a great finish, but there's big, big question marks over Nick Pope and what he's doing. Uh, Wilf and Didi, who played in the middle of a back three, clipped the ball over the top. Ian Acho runs onto it. It's a beautiful left-footed volley first time. But Nick Pope's positioning is, to call it unorthodox, would be to underplay it. He's 15 yards out of his goal, nowhere in line with the ball, and the ball just sails past him. It's interesting from Pope, who tends to be Peter Schmeichel when he plays against Liverpool, against United. Uh, And then in other games, he can look like a fellow who won a raffle. And last night, at times, he looked like he he won a raffle. But one all was a fair result. I think both teams will be pretty happy with the draw. Leicester stay, stay in third spot. Uh, they're five points clear of West Ham, six clear of Chelsea, and seven clear of Liverpool. Coming up for them, they've got Brighton away, Sheffield United at home, then an FA Cup quarterfinal at home to Manchester United, before a difficult back-to-back in the league of Man City at home, and then West Ham away. So tough run coming up for them. They've obviously got a lot of injury problems at the moment. Their team reflected that last night. A back three of Amarty and Didi and Sayonchu. Mendy kind of sitting in front of them as a holding midfielder. Pereira and Castanier in the wing-back positions is absolutely A-OK. Chowdhury and Thielmans in centre midfield is fine. Vardy and Ianachu up front. Wesley Fafana is back, though. That's massive for them. So they get him back. He came off the bench last night. But they are missing. They are missing a lot of players. Uh, Johnny Evans out last night. Obviously, James Justin done for the season. Madison's injured. Barnes is injured. It's not ideal. And we know that you know this time last year they were falling apart as injuries struck and Rogers struggled to right the ship. I. I've seen people say it'd be an amazing achievement for Leicester to get top four, and I don't buy it if I'm being honest, because when you look at their best eleven of let's say it's Casper Schmeichel, Ricardo Pereira, Johnny Evans, Sionchu, Castanier, Ndidi, All Brighton, Telemans, Madison, Barnes, Vardy, and you've still got James Justin. Wes Fofana, Chowdhury, Mendy, Cengizunder, Iosley Perez, and Iheanacho as depth options. I I don't think it's an incredible achievement for that group of players to get top four. I think their best 11 is better than West Ham's. I think it's better than Chelsea's definitely better than Arsenal's, better than Villas, better than Everton's. And you can make a strong argument it's better than Manchester United's. I mean, defensively, I'd take them over United. In midfield, you'd absolutely take them over United. That midfield trio of Ndidi, Madison and Telemans is as good as anybody in the league not called Manchester City. So I don't think that group of players getting top four is an incredible achievement. Especially when you consider Arsenal are in the middle of a rebuild. Spurs have fallen apart. Chelsea had to change manager mid-season. And Liverpool have had all the injuries that they've had. I don't think it will be an incredible achievement. In actual fact, I think it will be quite disappointing if they don't get top four with the talent they have, even with a couple of injuries. Because they lose Justin, and he's been excellent all season, but they still have Pereira and Castanier. Evans is only a short-term thing. While Fafana was out, they still had Evans and Sionchu. When Saionchu was out, they still had Evans and Fafana. When Pereira was out, they still had Justin and um, Castanier. And Didi was a massive blow, but, I mean, Mendy and Choudhury are good players. Dennis Priet's the other one that they have in their squad, uh, who's also an excellent player. Now, he's been out, obviously, for a while, but he's not a starter. The only place they really lack depth is up front with Vardy. But, I mean, Acho and Perez, and, and Rogers paid quite a bit of money for Perez. So, I don't think the argument that, you know, if they get fifth, it's a great achievement, I don't think that carries water. If the top six, if the, sorry, if the big six were the big six, and they were all really strong, then yes, it will be a great achievement to get fifth. But they're not, and they weren't last season either. They've been dumped out of the Europa League, so now their focus is on domestic football. I don't think Rogers has excuses this year. I think if they don't get top fours, it's massively disappointing. And maybe questions will have to be asked. Also at 6pm last night, we had Sheffield United 1, Aston Villa 0. This was a good game of football, to be fair. Um, Villa were the better team. Villa dominated the, the, the proceedings. Uh, 16 shots, 72% of the possession. Struggled to really create any clear-cut opportunities. Uh, Esri that probably had the best chance for them. Lovely touch and a half volley. That was well saved by Ramsdale. The Blades p- played the last... 30-plus minutes with 10 men after Jaggy Elke was sent off. And I've seen a lot of criticism of the referee's decision, but I, I don't buy the criticism. It's a last-man foul. Nobody's getting across. The argument has been made that, oh, there's a covering defender. He's 25 yards away. He's not getting anywhere close. The Blades had gone one nil up David McGoldrick with a really well-worked goal. He won the ball himself. Out wide on the left. Switched the play to George Baldock. Got himself in the box. And then a low cross caught El Mahammedi asleep. And McGoldrick snuck in behind him for a simple tap-in. It was a really nice goal. McGoldrick was very, very good while he was on the pitch last night. I thought and Brewster looked a little bit more lively. A little bit brighter than normal. His movement was decent. But Villa had a couple of good opportunities where they worked the opening well and then sort of forced that final pass. Ollie Watkins was maybe a little bit unlucky not to have a penalty when Key and Brian barged him out of the way in the first half, but, you know, it is what it is. Bertrand Traore had a couple of decent half chances. John McGinn had probably the other good chance other than the Conza the one, but unfortunately it fell to him on his right foot and he didn't didn't strike the ball with any sort of purpose or, or confidence um united state bottom but it's a, it's 14 points now they've they've beaten derby which is you know it it's important it's important not to be the worst team in history that's the most you can ask for uh when you've had the the, the dreadful start that they had you you have to you have to overcome these all-time dreadful teams. Derby with 11 points, Sunderland in 05-06 with 15. That's the next target. Get past that, and then, you know, then you can start focusing in on maybe overhauling uh, West Brom. You're three points behind them. Now, they've got a game in hand, but that's against Everton tonight, and you've got a better goal difference than them. So, one more... Win, we'll see you go above them if they continue to lose, and that that would be something, you know, to not finish bottom after that start, it'll be something. Um, up next for the Blades, we have Southampton at home. Southampton obviously in, in terrible form, so again, a game Sheffield United could go into with confidence. Then they have Leicester away, then an FA Cup quarter final away to Chelsea. They're away to Leeds for the Yorkshire Derby, and then they're at home to Arsenal. Difficult run, but that Southampton game, given the form Southampton are in, that's one they have to be looking at and thinking, okay, that's that could be three points there. At the very least, it could be a point. Get a point and let's work slowly because West Brom look awful. I know they won at the weekend, but West Brom look awful. Um, For Villa, they're ninth in the league 25 games played They're four points behind Liverpool And sixth with a game in hand Europe is looking less likely For them They obviously started the season really well Then they had a drop-off And now, obviously, they've had some players Getting injured, but Their form since the start of this year has not been good. They've only won four games this year out of 11 played. So it's not just the Grealish injury. People will want to put it down to the Grealish injury, but Grealish played in most of these games and wasn't good in a lot of them. He's floated through a lot of games this season. And when I see people talk about him as footballer of the year, I'm not quite sure what the, the argument is. Now, some people have said, oh, but his underlying numbers are great. Like, his expected assists is fantastic. His chance creation numbers are great. Of course they are. Of course they are. He plays in a good team where he's the number one option all the time. I would imagine his usage rate is very, very high. He gets the ball a lot. Everything goes through him. So, of course, he's going to have more opportunities to create than, say, I don't know, an Ilke Gundogan or a De Bruyne who has less opportunities because he has less of the ball when his team have possession because City have so many different playmakers in their team. I'd like to see Jack Grealish's average touches per game against some of these other players, especially those that play in in the front three. So your Raheem Sterling's, your Mo Salas. I reckon he gets more of the ball than any of them because everything is just skewed to get, you know, him involved. Which is absolutely fair, and it's not a criticism of Dean Smith or of Aston Villa. But I don't think Grealish would have the same impact at a at a bigger team where there's better players around him who'll all demand just as much of the ball. Um up next for Villa, they have Wolves at home, then Newcastle away, then Tottenham at home, then Aston Villa, sorry, then Aston Villa, then Fulham at home, and then Liverpool away. That's their next five Wolves, Newcastle, Spurs, Fulham, and Liverpool. There's, there's definitely winnable games. There's three games in there that they should be looking to win Wolves at home. Newcastle away, Fulham at home. Spurs at home, I think a draw is absolutely possible. You never know what will happen when they go to Anfield because you just don't know what team Liverpool are going to have available. But over the next four games, I think it'd be quite disappointing if if Villa didn't take at least seven points. At least seven. But the recent form suggests that's probably not going to happen. I think top half was always the mid table was probably always the aim. Anywhere from eight to thirteenth was probably the, the plan from the start of the season, as you know, the next step in their progression and their development as a club. The money they've spent though, the ownership will will start demanding more next season. But it's still good progression. They're a much better team than they were last season, obviously. They're pretty much mathematically safe at this point, which is, you know, always nice when it went down to the final day last year. I think they're a good bet to finish top half. Might not be, might not just get it, but I think, I think they should. I think they should get top half this season. Um, barring, a, you know, a, a bad run of, of, of four or five defeats in a row. Um, Final game then, Manchester United nil, Crystal Palace nil. There was fog, and unfortunately there just wasn't enough of it. Because if we could have seen less of this game, it would have been better for everybody. Manchester United mustered one shot on target in the entire 90 minutes. One. A deflected shot, no less, from Nemanja Matic. Uh, Guaita made a great save. That was about the only really threatening opportunity for United, and that wasn't even a threatening opportunity. Matt just 25 yards out when he hit that shot. Rashford had one decent half chance. Um Dan James had a bit of a half chance from a header, but I mean he's five foot seven, so you know, a cross into the box isn't really doing him any favours. Palace didn't create a whole lot of much either. Van Anholt had their best opportunity late on and just while I'm on it, he shared a, a private message he received on Instagram from some absolute scumbag who used a racial slur against him. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? He's a man doing a job. If he didn't do it to your satisfaction, you can't racially abuse him. If a fella comes to clean your gutters, And leaves a leaf in. You can't racially abuse him. Just the same as if a footballer. Fails to score from a half chance. You can't racially abuse people. In any walk of life. For anything. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can tell him. You shouldn't. But if you think he's a bad player. You can tell him you think he's a bad player. You shouldn't do that. That's that's that type of behaviour. But you know. Fair enough. You DM a player, you say, I think you're a bit crap. Great. Well done. He won't care. he would just laugh. Because what are you as a footballer? You're not him. He's in the Premier League. You kick ball down the park with your friends. He can laugh that off. Because he knows that he's a better footballer than you are. He can't laugh off racial abuse. And we shouldn't laugh off racial abuse. Nobody should laugh it off. Whether it's witnessing it or receiving it, you should never laugh it off. If you see it, report it. The first thing you should do if you see any type of racist behavior is report it. Because otherwise, we will not rid ourselves of this cancerous presence in our society that is going to end in violence it is just going to end in violence because people won't accept it United States second in the league their record over the last few months is pretty dreadful since going top of the league like they really have struggled to Create chances to win games. Now, they haven't been helped by the fact that this is the first real dip that Bruno has had, but they went top when they beat Burnley on the 12th of January. Then they drew at Liverpool. They beat Fulham. They lost to Sheffield United. They drew at Arsenal. They beat Southampton. They drew at Everton. They drew at West Brom. They beat Newcastle. They drew at Chelsea. They drew at Crystal Palace. Since January the 12th, only three wins. That's very, very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Um, It's little wonder City have opened up a 14-point gap at the top of the table when United have won, you know, three games from 10 played. Um There's no real excuse for it either. Teams have figured them out. Stop Bruno, stop United. Simple as that. Now, I say Bruno's had his dip. He scored four goals and had a bunch of assists in that time. So even in his dip, he's still scoring. He's still contributing. He's one goal shy of matching Steven Gerrard's best ever season for goals and assists in the league. Gerard had 16 and 11 in his best season. Bruno has 15 and 11 this season in the Premier League. The only season then above that will be Lampard's legendary 22 and 16 in 0-9-10. And with 11 games left, capable, he's more than capable of of getting to those numbers. But to do that, this in his first full season, is sensational and. You know, he's definitely going to be in the conversation for Football of the Year. Um, I've seen people say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't do it in big games. Name a a Man United player that does. Name me a Manchester United player that has performed in a big game this season. United against the top six this season. Spurs at home, lost 6-1. Chelsea at home, drew 0-0. Arsenal at home, lost 1-0. Liverpool away, drew 0-0. Arsenal away drew nil nil. Chelsea away drew nil nil. United don't perform in big games. They just don't perform. For whatever reason, they get a little bit cowardly. Speaking of cowardly, uh, reports from Newcastle that Matt Ritchie and Steve Bruce have had a major training ground bust up after Bruce threw the players under the bus at the weekend, after the concession of Ruben Neves' headed goal, he blamed Matt Ritchie, he blamed uh, Dubravka, he blamed Jamal Lewis, he blamed Jolington. Blamed them all publicly. Took no blame for himself. On the dressing, uh, in the training ground, he apparently was blaming uh, Ritchie, Jacob Murphy, and Graham Jones, the new assistant manager, uh, for not getting the instructions across quickly enough. Um, no blame for himself, apparently. And, and and by all accounts, this is a constant thing with Steve Bruce, that he accepts no blame. He tries to pass the blame on to everybody else. There's rumours that he is the one leaking team news to the press, uh, potentially to carry some favour. Uh, curry some favour. I, I, is it carry favour or curry favour? I'm not really sure. Let me know. Um, But yeah, to make friends with the media, he's leaking team news. Carl Darlow found out he was to be dropped in the newspapers 36 hours before Bruce told him to his face. That's not good. And by all accounts, Bruce has lost the dressing room. The players have sided with Matt Ritchie after this bust up, uh, which became somewhat physical as Bruce shoulder barged him, having marched from his office upon hearing that Ritchie had called him a coward. Uh, Richie then repeated that he thought Bruce was a coward And uh, told him he was done with him So that's going to be one to follow uh, There's an awful lot of Newcastle fans That think it's time for Bruce to go I have to agree with them I think it is When you look at the league table The three points clear of Fulham But they're only going in one direction Newcastle have been woeful For months and months now And they it's it's Their bad form more than anything that has put them so close to Fulham. Look at their results since the 12th of December. They've only won two games. They've played 14 and won two. Sorry, they've played 15. 15 games in the league and won two. Drawn three and lost 10. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable at all. And they're only going in one direction. They've been bounced out of both cups as well in that gap. So, uh, you know, the the article is in the Daily Mail. Um, Apparently the players feel that Bruce needs to go, that Jones is their best option as manager till the end of the season to help them avoid relegation. uh, Whether that's the case or not, I I don't know. I don't know how good he is. But something needs to change in Newcastle and needs to change really quick. When stories like that are coming out of the training ground, it only goes one way and it's not good for the manager. Um, Three games tonight. We have two pm kickoffs and an 8.15. At 6pm, it's West Brom versus Everton at the Hawthorns. Everton will be without a bunch of players. Yerry Mina, Jean-Philippe Gabaman, Seamus Coleman, Tom Davies and James Rodriguez all a doubt. Robin Olsen will have a fitness test. Fabian Delph also ruled out. For West Brom, they have a full-strength squad. They're one of the few teams right now with no reported injuries. So that may give them a little bit of an advantage. You would still expect Everton to go in there and win that game. They've won two in a row. But West Brom were unbeaten in their last three and did win it the weekend uh, over Burnley. So it's, you know, maybe it's big, uh, not Burnley, Brighton, sorry, Brighton. Uh, maybe it's big Sam time. Maybe he starts to work a bit of magic and I, I don't think he's going to get them out of the mess they're in. But, you know, maybe he'll give them a fighting chance. Uh should be a, a half-decent game. Fulham versus Tottenham at the same time, though, was the one I'd I'd advise watching. Um, Fulham obviously on a, on a somewhat decent run of form. They're unbeaten in their last six or seven. Spurs, though, you know, they're just so inconsistent. They're capable of brilliance. They're capable of being awful. You just don't know which team you're going to get. Fulham will be without Marek Rodak and Tom Kearney. Spurs, the only one out is Giovanni Lo Celso. So both teams should be at full strength. Uh, which should lead to a good game of football where both teams will be looking to play, you know, to play to win. This is the type of game Mourinho expects to win so he doesn't put the shackles on too much, uh, not until the 2-0 up anyway. And Fulham need every point they can get so they can't afford to sit back and uh, and play a defensive style. It's actually unbeaten in five. Unbeaten in five. They were previously unbeaten In three, and then they lost to um, lost to Leicester. So happened for Fulham, but yeah, that's there. The six o'clock games, and then at eight fifteen, it is Liverpool at home to Chelsea. Chelsea come into town in good form. They're unbeaten under Tuchel, uh, but back to back draws in the league, back to back disappointing performances, struggling for goals under Tuchel. Liverpool are starting to get some players back. Tonight they'll be without Jordan Henderson, Joel Matip, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk, but it looks like Diogo Jota is back in the match day squad, Fabinho is back, Naby Keita is back. It's the best Liverpool's injury situation has looked in many's the month. So, um they'll be they'll be pretty confident that they can get a result at home to to Chelsea. Chelsea will be without Thiago Silva and Tammy Abraham by the looks of things, so Giroud probably up front, um, which might suit Liverpool, because if they're playing with Phillips and Quebec at centre-back, pace is something they'll struggle to deal with, so they'll be hoping that it's Zayic, Giroud and Mount up front, I think. Um, Right, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back we will have today's Twitter questions welcome back it is time for Twitter Thursday Uh, sent out the tweet this morning a little bit later than normal Uh, for some reason my scheduled tweet went off the wrong account Uh, went off the EPL index account and nobody knew what I was talking about so uh, (laughs) sent it out and thankfully loads of you have gotten back so we'll start with Sido1975, uh, who asks, while it's great English players are going abroad, why do, you, why do you think more and more are? Is it the standard coaching or to get more opportunities because old-style British managers favoured journeymen more so? I think it's a combination of what you're talking about. I think is a higher standard of coaching available in youth academies on the continent. I think there's more opportunities for young players to play. I think we see certain British managers don't trust young players, but it's not just that. It's also the fact that they're under so much pressure because there's so much money involved in the Premier League. And the difference in, say, finishing 14th and 9th can be millions and millions of pounds. Managers are a little he- bit hesitant to play young players and risk, you know, a, a couple of inconsistent performances. I do think it's going to continue. I think it's a trend that will will continue and may even expand. But, you know, we're seeing players just leave Premier League academies to go to PSV. Like when you see Musiala leave the Chelsea academy to join the Bayern academy. And like Bayern are a much bigger club than Chelsea, much more successful club with a far bigger pool of talent but yet he's confident that if he goes there he'll get more opportunities than does at Chelsea it it says quite a lot i think it's the mentality of the german game of the dutch game um i think we'll see more of more players go to belgium and france as well um i'm not sure what brexit's going to mean for this but i think all the other countries will start to make special you know dispensations for younger players to make that move because you know they, they'll want to stick two fingers up to England. Um I, you know there there is definitely that, that gammon and gravy mindset of, of certain British managers where they'd rather have your journeymen grafters, your kind of tried and tested basics of football type of guys and yeah they're they're not really the best at giving young players opportunities. Um at Gum Gum Pistol do you think a benefit of the benefit of the doubt system for offsides could work given that some some offsides are too close to accurately call in cricket the principle employed by umpires in case, in cases of uncertainty concerning a batsman possibly being out in which a decision must be made in the bat, batsman's favour see i do i do think it would work i think it would take away a lot of the cribbing and the the moaning however the rules of the game are already so massively skewed towards attacking players like i think we have to give defenders a chance here like they're barely allowed tackle anymore they're not really allowed to be physical at all because it, players just fall over now for no reason I think we've made the game incredibly hard for defenders. And I think this would just be one more thing where it would go in their advantage. So while I do think it could work, I'm not in favor of it because I think we need to help the defenders. We need to give them a little bit more protection. Um, Matty Holdsworth at Matty underscore SCD asks, is David Carmel really as slow or as poor a passer as he's rated on FIFA? Uh, No, he's not. So his passing is 42. David Carmel's a really good long passer of the ball. And his pace is 33. And David Carmel's very, very quick. So, yeah, I don't think FIFA really um, have really spent enough time looking at David Carmel and, and the player he is uh, he might be 33 now with his foot in a cast because he broke his leg. But no, he's definitely not that slow. Um, last 20, this is from uh, Owen H. Hurley, tweets from the book. Last 20 to 25 years, World eleven lefties versus righties and who wins? Oh, that's good. Um Right. Goalkeeper for the lefties, I'm going Chilliver. Goalkeepers for the righties is Buffon. Uh, you need two left-backs. I'll go Ashley Cole and um, Roberto Carlos to play as the full-backs for the left-footed team. Um, and Cialini and Maldini in the middle. Oh, Maldini's right-footed, so he's in the right-footer team. Um... I'll go Cialini and Thomas Helmer as the centre-backs for the left-footed team. Um, Redondo. I can have Maradona. So, Redondo, Maradona. Oh, this is tough. Rivaldo as the... Redondo. Maradona and Rivaldo definitely as my attacking midfielders. Marcelo Salas is going to be up front with Pepe Signore. So that'll be my front two. Rivaldo and Maradona behind them. Redondo and... Oh. John Barnes in central midfield. That'll be my two. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go Redondo, Barnes... Rivaldo, Maradona Signore and Salas uh, Oh, no, Messi What am I thinking? Messi has to be in the team Pepe Signore, you're out Messi's in the team um, Right footers Dennis Irwin and I'll play Dennis Irwin. Oh no, I've got Maldini at left back So I'll go Maldini at left back because he's right footed uh, I can play Zanetti At um at uh, right back, I'll go Nesta and Turam in the middle. Nesta and Beresi. Nesta and Beresi. We'll go Nesta and Beresi. Um Midfield, I've got to go Roy Keane. I always pick Roy Keane. Um, I'll partner him with Sergio Busquets. Iniesta. Hmm. And Pal. Oh, Zidane. Zidane, obviously. So box midfield there. Again, both teams box midfield. Keen and uh, Busquets, Zidane and Iniesta. And then up front, I'm going to just play Roberto Baggio and. Um, Roberto Baggio and. Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo, R9. In fact, Iniesta's out of the team. Michael Laudrup. Laudrup and Zidane, Baggio and uh, and Ronaldo, Keenan and Busquets. The right-footers will win. The right-footers will win. The left-footers have the two best individual players in Maradona and Messi, but I think the right-footers have more calibre and quality overall. So I'll go for the right-footers. Um... Darren McCusker at up pool, 6198. With a lot of past Premier League champions using a 3-2-5 and attacking build-up. is there any formation that hasn't been used in years that you would like to see return? Yes, yes there is. I'd like to see the back three with the actual sweeper, the midfield player, drop back in as a sweeper, a free man, free to go and join the attacks. I'd like to see that come back. That Germany 96 team. Lives long in my memory. It's the first international team I've actually loved. Zammer as the sweeper. It was initially Kohler and Helmer as the centre-backs, but Kohler got hurt. It was Babel and Helmer through the tournament. Stefan Reuter and Christian Ziga as the uh, as the wing-backs um, in midfield. Dieter Elz was the defensive midfielder who, when Zammer went forward, Elz would just slot back and, and hold things steady. Uh, Thomas Hassler played next to him in midfield Um, Andreas Muller was the 10 And then Klinsman was one striker And the other striker tended to to rotate between a couple of different ones Oliver Bierhoff being the most notable of them But yeah, that kind of shape, that kind of style I'd love to see somebody try that again Um, From Pure Air at chamber underscore trilogy as the e p. l referee problem seems largely systematic, how does it get fixed? Can it become transitionally better, or does it need a full clear out and restructure? Does the english f a have a will to fix this? At what point does it become necessary? I think it is necessary. i do, and I think a part of it obviously is v a r and how much focus has been on it and I've said before, I think what we need is to separate v a r and referees. The PGMOL should not oversee VAR. VAR needs to be its own separate entity. It needs to be people who are not referees, who do not have any connection to referees, who do not know the referees. It needs to be people brought in and specifically trained to work as VAR. Because otherwise, we just end up with the old boys network where they're afraid to overrule their friends. I also think we need to see more transparency. We need the referees mic'd up so that we can hear what they're talking about, we can hear the decision-making process, what information has been relayed to them, why they're going to go and check the video screen, why they're then making the decision based on what they've seen. I think there's a, a really good opportunity and lots of good scope for changes to be made. In terms of the referees themselves, the actual on-the-pitch referees, there's a couple of things. Number one, the retirement age needs to be lowered. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody, but no 50-year-old is going to be able to keep up with a bunch of 20-somethings and a ball moving that quickly. It's just not possible. So we constantly see referees out of position. We constantly see referees struggling to keep up with play. I think they, they you need to drop it to 40. Being honest, you need to drop it to 40. And I know that's harsh, but I also think they need to bring them in younger as well. I think it would make more sense if we had referees, you know, 23, 24, 25 coming into the Premier League. Then they'll get a 15-year run at it rather than having them be in their early 30s when they land in the Premier League. Now, again, you'd need to only be promoting the elite of the elite but we need to find a way with young young footballers who, say, get released from academies at 16, 17, 18 and are unsure of their future. Why not recruit them to be referees? They clearly have a love of the game. They're going to have a great level of natural fitness. They're going to have a basic understanding of the rules. Why not recruit them to be referees? At least they'll then have more of an understanding of the mindset of a footballer as well. But I, I do think it needs to be a quite drastic change. I also think the people that oversee referees should not be former referees and especially not bad former referees. Um, Harry Fuller, KS, how do Wolves get back on track to the promise they showed? Who should they replace Nuno with? A couple of players they should buy get rid of. Um, I would get rid of all the centre-backs. I would start with Cody because he'll bring in some money because people will be foolish and they'll give you money for him. Um, I would Roman Seiz, I think is leaving this year. I, know I keep Kilman. I would keep Kilman and I would keep Kiana Hoiver, who I think is a right centre back, not a right wing back in their system. Um, in terms of who to bring in, I mean, I, I quite like their of their front three of Adama, Jimenez, and. And Neto, but I would I would probably look to move on at Dama if I can get a good offer from him. now this season probably hasn't helped his value. Um I like the centre midfield three-o of uh Neves, then Donker and Moutinho and the different combinations you can put together with them, but you want to bring in a fourth. You'd want to get somebody else in there who can um you know offer something a little bit different, maybe more of a powerful box to box runner that you can pair up with any of them. Depending on the opposition, I like the wing backs. Um, Samado needs to get better defensively, but he's good going forward. Uh, I really like Aitnuri. Johnny Otto can play both sides. Um, I'm quite quite in favour of that. But yeah, I think I think three new centre backs is what they need. In terms of that's if they're going to stick to that shape, and they may not. If they bring in a different manager, they may go to, a, you know, more of a traditional back four. In which case, they need two centre backs. Um regarding who they bring in. I mean, they're only really allowed by Portuguese players, aren't they? So, you know, maybe they buy David Carmel when his leg fixes. Um, Who replaces him? I don't know. I think if Steven Gerrard wants to come to England and manage in England, I think that's the job for him. Because it's a mid-level club, but with ambition, with money to spend, with a really good squad to take over. I would rather see him take that job than say a Crystal Palace where it really does need you know a complete teardown and rebuild around one or two players that are there with with wolves you're coming in, I think you're adding two or three players, you're tweaking things, but there's a really good basis for it there like Nuno's style is something you can use as a basis to build off uh Hodgins is not so. I think Gerrard would be an option for them. Um, whether he's ready to leave Rangers or not, I don't think so. I think he should stay at Rangers and, and have a run in the Champions League, try and win maybe two or three titles uh, up, up in Scotland rather than just one. But um, yeah, I think Gerard would be an option. I think... I mean, Jesse Marsh could be interesting. I don't know if they could attract him, but Jesse Marsh could be interesting. Um, he's done... Really well, obviously, at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. He's a very, very talented manager. Um, Oliver Glasner, I think, is one a Wolfsburg. One who's worth considering. He's done a brilliant job this year with Wolfsburg. Um, So maybe he's someone they could look at. Someone isn't like, you know, he's he's not young. I think he's 46. So he's got experience, but he's still, you know, Sort of an unknown quantity um, for a lot of people because he's only really in his first big job. He was at Lask for four years before this uh, and SV Reed before that in, in both in Austria. So, you know, if people don't pay attention to Austrian football, as I assume most of us don't really, uh, you may not have heard of him until he landed at Wolfsbergen. He's done a great job there. Uh, Gerardo Sione. At Young Boys of Bern, I think he's one that a lot of top clubs uh, will look at this summer. And the top, by top clubs, I don't mean your your Bayerns, your PSGs, your Juve's, your Milan's, etc. I'm talking more, you know, your Borussia Munchen, Gladbacks, your, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt. If they're managerial, if if Eddie Hooter left, um, he he's one I, I I think Wolves should should strongly consider. He's done. Great work uh, with young boys of Bern. So, worth considering. Um, Connor underscore Sheehan. We know football can change a lot in 24 hours. And a lot has been said about who will take over from Klopp in 2024. But who do you think will be an elite manager by then that, hasn't, that isn't seen as one now? Um, Gerard, Gerardo Sione, I think, is, is one to definitely, definitely keep your eye on. Um, the other one is at Werder Bremen, who they're the Bundesliga club that, unfortunately, I made the mistake of tying myself to as a younger man because of Dieter Rels and that '96 German team. Florian Kohfeldt, um, super super talented young manager, done brilliant work in a fairly rough situation. With a bad group of players at Verder Bremen, uh, little to no money to spend, but is doing the very, very best that he can. Um, he would be, he would be the one for me. He's the one I think that's got massive potential. Um, unfortunately, Verder are just in a fairly ropey spot. But I mean, in his first season, he finished eighth. Last season was rough. Um, and they barely avoided relegation. They finished 16th, but this season they're in 12th, and things are going pretty pretty well for them. Um, you know, he's young; he's 38 years of age. So in a couple of years, I think he probably would need obviously an in between job. Um, but if he continues to develop, for sure, I think both of them, Sione and and Kofeld, for sure, they're the two I think are. And Jesse Marsh would be the other one. Now, I think Jesse Marsh is already a top manager. But I mean New York Red Bulls, Red Bull Salzburg, he's not exactly at the creme de la creme of European football. If he gets the move next, if he goes to Gladbach or wherever, he might be the one. Um and I don't know if people think Marco Rose is a top manager. I think he is, but um, he's probably not seen as elite. At Dortmund, he can become elite. Um and, and I think he he'll be he'll be one that'll be strongly considered. Um Emmett, a.k.a. Emmett, what is the best 1-11 to that a team has fielded that you've seen? Milan's 05 CL starting 11, as always. to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that is it. I think it is that 2005 Champions League final AC Milan team. Dida in goal, never quite world-class, but I think certainly, you know, was one of the better goalkeepers in the world for a few years. Cafu's an all-time great right-back. Yap Stam and Alessandro Nesta. Nesta, to me, is a top-five centre-back ever. Stam is top-five in the history of the Premier League. Maldini, I think, is the greatest defender that's ever lived. Pirlo was world-class. Gattuso wasn't world-class, but he was exceptionally good at what he did. Seedorf was world-class. Kaka was world-class. Shevchenko was the best striker in the world of time, and Crespo was brilliant. That, as a 1-11 is the best I think I've ever seen. There are nine world-class players in that team. Nine. I don't know that we've seen that before. And the other two, Gita and Gattuso, really, really good at what they did. Uh, and you look at the bench. It's not like, look at the bench. Abiati was a good keeper. Kaladze was a good defender for years. costa is an all-time great. Rui Costa was world-class in his peak. Uh Rosso, I don't really remember all that much. Serginio was a really, really good left wing back. And John Dole Thomason, who, if people remember, I think it was Kenny Douglas brought him to Newcastle. It was Kenny Douglas. Brought him to Newcastle and it didn't really work out. He only stayed one season, scored three goals in 23 league games four and thirty-five in all competitions. Newcastle signed a bunch of players that summer, none of whom really worked out that well. But John Dole Thomason went on and had a really, really good career, and I think proved Kenny right that he was a talented player. Who else did the tune sign that summer? Um Shea Given, great signing. Uh Alessandro Pistoni didn't work out. John Barnes and Ian Rush. Both of them at the end of their careers. Tamuri Ketsbaya. Good signing. Uh, Paul Doglish. Andreas Anderson. Didn't work at Newcastle. a good player. Gary Speed arrived in the February. Yeah. Tune doing bits that year. 2.2 million. For John Dole Thomason. Um, it didn't work from there. But he went on to have great success at Feyenoord four great years there did really well for Milan in his 3 years there had a good season at Stuttgart moved on to Villarreal did pretty well there for his two seasons and back to Feyenoord where he ended up retiring and he uni retired in 2011 uh but yeah John Dolt Thomasson was always a player I liked I, I've always had a soft spot for for uh, you know for Danish players because Michael Laudrup is is my all-time favorite player I didn't realize he'd gone into management. He is now the manager of Malmo FF. So fair play. I hope he does well. Uh, Maybe he's an answer to Conor Sheehan's question. Um, Ross Wood, is this Premier League season degenerating into a competition where the least bad team wins? Yes, in a way. I, I think the least bad team will get second. I think City are a good team. I think it's I think they must be considered a good team not great they're spectacular to watch I don't think they're as good as the team that got a hundred points or the team that won the domestic treble but they're they're a good very very good they're a very very good team but they're not great they're not as good as they were a couple of years ago uh but everybody else yeah it's pretty much whoever's the least bad will will finish second um it's just unfortunate uh flanners <laughs> Ryan Flanagan ask, why do you think you're too big for the Europa League? They can't afford me, Ryan. When when you're top-tier talent like myself, you work on the Premier League, you work on the Champions League. You, you don't consider domestic cups or Europa League. That's that's for other people to do. Myself and brother Downey, we don't meddle with that type of thing. We're just there. We get, we get called out for the big games. We get rested. At, the, at this point in our careers, you have to rest us and only call us, only bring us out when you need us. Uh, Jay Reed, who do you think will come up from the championship this season? And who would you like to see return if they are not in your three picks? Oh, interesting. Uh, let me have a look. Uh, championship table. I know Norwich are looking a great bet to come up. Norwich are going to come up right let's let's just put that to bed Norwich are 10 points clear with 12 games left Norwich are coming up Brentford are second Watford are third Swansea are fourth there's 1 point separating Brentford in second and Swansea in fourth then it's a gap to Reading Bournemouth are sixth um Norwich will come up. I think Brentford will come up. I think this is their year. They're having a wobble at the moment, but I think this is the year that they'll come up. No guy. No. I Middlesbrough, committing themselves to another year of gammon and gravy, ninth place football. And, and so overjoyed at the fan base that Woodgate's not in charge anymore. They're all delighted by it. Um, I'd love to see Blackburn come up, but it won't happen because they're 15th. The one I'd love to see back in the Premier League from this division is Notts Forest. I'd love to see Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League. Sheffield Wednesday, I wouldn't be against either. I've always liked, I've always had a soft spot. good friend of mine growing up was a Sheffield Wednesday fan, but unfortunately, they are, are absolutely in the toilet, charging towards League One um, at a rate of nots. Looks like both sheffield clubs will be relegated this season um but yeah i mean the, the three i think it'll be i think it'll be norwich i think it'll be brentford and i think it could be swansea if i'm i think swansea are the, are the team i'd fancy out, out of the four in the playoffs but keep an eye on barnsley because the turnaround at barnsley has been sensational they've won their last five in a row the the manager they brought in is Valerian Ishmael. Um he's done an incredible job since taking over. Yeah, Valerian Ishmael, I knew it was. Um formerly of Bayern Munich, don't you know? Uh, when he was I think he played for was he Strasbourg? Yeah. When he was at Strasbourg, he was super highly rated. He ends up coming to Crystal Palace. It doesn't work for whatever reason. Plays only uh, Half a season with them. Moves on to Len, Lenz in, in France. Plays four years there. Goes back to Strasbourg. Again, does really well. Earns a move to Werder Bremen. Does really well for Bremen for one season. And Bayern snapped him up. It didn't go so well at Bayern. He ended up at Hanover. He was sort of at the end of his career. Anyway, by the time he went to Bayern, he was like 31. But um, yes, yeah, super, super talented player. Um, he's been around as a manager. He's managed Nuremberg. He's managed Wolfsburg briefly. He's been in Greece. He's been in Austria Alaska, and he's come to Barnsley, having done done well, you know, in in other places. And uh, he's just he's had a great impact. Twenty nine games and won eighteen of them. They were in the toilet when he took over. Absolutely in the toilet when he took over. Took over the twenty third. Of October. On the 23rd of October. They were sitting in. 21st place. They're sixth. Seventh. They're seventh now. Um, But they're right on the verge of the playoffs. They've won six in a row. They're unbeaten in eight. He's done a tremendous job. And it's funny because. Gerhard Struber. Who was there at the start of the season was. Loved by the analytics community, and it just it did a dreadful job. Did a dreadful job, and um had them going down. So you know, it is what it is. But best of luck to him at New York Red Bulls. I, I do hope it goes well for him. Um, rumors Klopp may go in this. This is from Anfield line. Rumors Klopp may go in the summer to the Germany job. What do you think? No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think he's ready for semi-retirement yet, and and that German job will be semi-retirement for him. I also don't think it's the right time to take over Germany. It's not a particularly appealing squad. There's a lot of aging players, and only a couple of top-class players in their primes. I think he'll want to wait another four, five, maybe even six years. I think he'll take the German job eventually, but I think he might just let someone else have it first. Uh, But either way, Yucky Lowe has to go this summer. Um, The most Irish of questions from Adam Hanlon. What's in your chicken fillet roll? Uh, I'm a very simple man. So you get your roll. You get your butter. uh, either, Either a southern fried or a spicy chicken fillet. I don't want the plain one. I prefer the southern fried, but I'll take a spicy. Bit of scallion. That's spring onion to those of you who don't know what a scallion is. Uh, a bit of cheese and brown sauce. and That's it. That's all I want. Uh, the super value in Virginia County Calvin makes a damnable good chicken fillet roll. So shout out to them. Uh, the best one, the best one you'll ever find used to be the Centra at the Maxol on the Dublin Road out of Navin. And anyone who's ever been in there and had a roll, the size of your arm, lads. An absolute triumph of a thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah, very simple. Has to have butter. No mayo. Don't don't put mayo on it. Bit of scallion. Load of cheese. Some brown sauce. Game changers. Uh, what is your favourite Liverpool kit? So we were talking about this recently on the Twitter machine. For me, the one I, I always think of as like an iconic shirt is the The kind of silver one with candy and red on the front that John Barnes would have worn, or the home version of that, which was that kind of red with like almost speckles through it or something, but I think my favorite one the eighty was eighty four eighty five I think it was the eighty four eighty five the crown paints one, yeah, that's it. Eighty four, eighty five. The red, obviously, with the white pinstripe, and Umbro and the crest in yellow or gold, and then crown paints and white. That one, to me, that's always been my favourite one. Um, the the away one of it is the yellow with the red stripe, crown paints, and the the badges in red. It's also an absolutely stunning kit. That year, that era. Kits were just were were better. They were brilliant. Um, of the modern ones, I re really, I really like the. Do you remember the green and white like it was like quartered and it was like green on top, white on bottom, then white on top, green on bottom. Robbie Fowler era. I quite like that one. Um, not a massive fan of any of the current ones. Um. The one year was it the tight was it was it thirteen fourteen? They had a great kit. Hang on, yeah, the thirteen fourteen one I quite liked. I thought it was nice, um some of the warrior ones were actually fairly decent, some of them were you know not so decent, but some of them were all right. Actually, no, I tell a it lie. It's the 1213 one I liked with the color. That was the first year of the bringing back just the old crest in gold, moving the eternal flame onto the onto the neck. Yeah, the 1213 home kit I did like. I love that color of red as well. It's just, it's like, oh, yeah, that one. That one or um, that's the the, the best modern one. 84-85 is the best year it hits, though. And um, Monkey Sponge asks, Chef or Heinz ketchup? It's got to be chef. It's got to be chef in this house. You take your Heinz. It's watery. I don't want anything to do with it. Get it out of the house. Chef or not? And that's it. That is all of our questions for today. I think we'll wrap up with a quick bit of gossip, because why not? Dortmund planned to keep hold of Erling Broth Holland beyond the summer, according to head of first-team football, Sebastian Keel, there are also reports from Bild that despite Chelsea's interest, he has no interest. He's only interested in joining six clubs. Liverpool, Manchester United and Man City are the only English ones he'd consider. I'm assuming Juve, Barca and Real are the other three. That's my assumption. Uh, Chelsea would get an unknown percentage of any fee Brighton would receive for Tariq Lamptey after negotiating a sell-on clause in the move which took the defender from Stamford Bridge to Brighton in January 2020. Rumours are that Arsenal are interested in uh, in Lamptey. If I was Lamptey, I would stay put for another couple of years and develop where you are, especially in a team that's going to play you as a wing-back rather than a full-back where you'll get exposed defensively. Uh, Barcelona presidential candidate. Juan Laporta has earmarked Manchester City's Argentine Ford Sergio Aguero as the potential statement arrival. A statement arrival. He's on a free. He's on a free transfer. Come and play with your bezzy, mate. Here's a big bag of money. It's not a statement. That's not a statement signing. Um that's a that's a man saying we're we're in a little bit of bother here. That's also like a plea to Messi. Please stay. Uh Gunnar's boss, Mikel Arteta, says he's fully focused on managing Arsenal, amid speculation linking him with Barcelona, but admits talks, are yet to begin over a new contract. Why would he get a new contract? Why would he get a new contract? He only got a, they only appointed him like 15 or 16 months ago. Why would they give him a new contract? This deal has two years to run after this one. I wouldn't even consider opening contract talks for another year. Oh, that's some nonsense. Don't give him a new deal. He hasn't earned it yet. Uh, Arsenal say contract talks with Alexander Lacazette. Oh, Arteta says contract talks with Lacazette, whose current deal also runs 23. Will start soon. Um, no, they won't. He'll be sold. Former England winger Ashley Young hopes to lift Serie a with Inter Milan before making a return to his first club, Watford, on a free transfer this summer. I'd love that. I think that I love stories of that when players go back to where they began. So fair play. If he ends up back there, that'd be great. Hopefully, um, he can help them sort out how to actually you know, be a football club. Um, but they're doing well this year. They're third at the moment, despite all the managerial uh, chopping and changing. Um, Jurgen Klopp admits Liverpool would find it harder to attract players this summer if they miss out on Champions League, but that's, you know, Captain Obvious award for Kloppel. Um Everton's Brazilian forward Richarlison will stay at Goodison Park even if they're un- if Everton are unable to steal Champions League football, says Carlo Ancelotti. I wouldn't bet my house on that, Carlo. I really wouldn't bet my house on it. Uh, AC Milan director Federico Mazzara has revealed the club are yet to decide whether they will activate Fecchio Tamuri's release clause, but the Italians are adamant. That Chelsea's 26 million pound price tag on the 23 year old is too high. Um, it's not too high. It really is not too high. And I struggle to have any sympathy with Milan in their crying of being poor mats, you know, considering all the money that they've spent over the years. Um, I just don't see that you can crib and cry too much. I mean, you, you rinsed Sevilla for 24 million. For Suso. So I'm not really feeling any pity for you. You're the club that spent 24 million on Frank Kessy, who you apparently aren't all that keen on. Uh, Raphael Liao cost 28 million, can't get in the starting 11 at the moment. Uh, who else did they buy? Um, Mattia Caldara, 35 million. Samu Castello, 25 million. I mean, you paid 18 million for Gonzalo Higuain on loan. 18 million to loan a player that Juventus were desperately trying to get rid of. Um, there's just, you look, Andre Andrea Cante, 24 million. Leonardo Bonucci, 42 million. He was a great player, but he didn't want to be there. Um, I have no sympathy at all for Milan. And perhaps if they hadn't spent, you know, so much money over the last decade, they wouldn't be in a situation where they're struggling to afford the centre back that they want to keep. But yeah, I have no sympathy for them, and they're going to make cha- they're going to make Champions League this year. So you know, they- there's just no place for crying in football. Um, how much did they spend on Simon on Simon Kerr, an undisclosed sum. Yeah. I wonder why it was undisclosed. Um, Rangers are increasingly nervous about rumours Klopp could leave leave, uh, leave Liverpool with the Scottish side's manager, Stephen Gerrard, set to return. Go away and don't talk to me about such nonsense. Celtic are considering offering their manager's job to Stoke boss Michael O'Neill. I would take that 100%. I think that would be a good appointment. Um, Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has has cautioned Over the amount of money the club will have to spend Uh, during the summer as the Old Trafford outfit prepare to announce their latest financial results. Yeah, they're not going to be pretty. And Oli is dampening expectations. So if you were thinking that you were getting Haaland or or Sancho, you're not. In part because they are not going to back Oli, because he's not going to demand they back him. And in part because the financial situation isn't good, uh, Manchester United have contacted Inter Milan over an alleged missing payment related to bonuses from the 27-year-olds' move to Italy. But w- would be willing to wipe out the <laughs> wipe out the outstanding debt if they're giving Lautaro Martinez or Milan Skriniar instead. I mean, Italian papers are mad; they come up with some mental stuff. Lautaro Martinez is worth more than Inter paid for Lukaku. So you're not getting him for outstanding debt. And sign Milan Skriniar all you want. Him and Harry Maguire playing in a high line together with half the field behind them would be an attacker's dream. Um, And I say that as someone that that likes Milan Skriniar. Uh, Premier League bosses have held talks to resolve the quarantine chaos set to be caused by this month's controversial international break. Just don't let the players go. That's as simple as that. Just don't let them go. Uh, West Ham's London-born striker Michael Antonio is said to be among a host of Premier League players who are applying for a Jamaican passport. Yeah, I-, I think it's great. I absolutely think it's great. I think it will be. it's really good to see players not just sit about and wait for one cap for England. Go and play international football. Use your, your lineage and go play. Uh, Aston Villa are planning upgrades to Villa Park to ensure the stadium is part of the UK and Republic of Ireland's World Cup 2030 bid, great, fantastic. I think it, it absolutely will be. Birmingham has to be part of the of the plan. It's bang in the middle of the country. So, yeah, get your stuff together, Villa. Get that done. You've got owners with deep pockets and long arms. Uh, or sorry, is it deep pockets and long arms? No, it's deep pockets and short arms for cheap people. So I guess it's narrow, like shallow pockets and long arms for rich people. Either way. Ah, uh, yeah, Villa Villa should absolutely should absolutely do that. Um, and I think that is it. I think that is all of our questions, all of our gossip, all of our news for today. It is indeed. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Do please tell a friend, spread the word. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt. See you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.